Some people think that it is uh, a denial of God, uh, of God's omnipotence, is what he uses, uh, if he were to create agents who had the power to say no to him. But I see it as the greatest act of omnipotence. The greatest act of omnipotence is that God would create creatures who have the capacity to say no to him. And he created us with that capacity because unless we have the capacity to say no to him, we can't say yes to him in any way that's meaningful. I find no satisfaction. I've got empty spaces here inside of me. These dreams that I've been chasing. Welcome back to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. The last few episodes have been more heady, more emotionally driven, more ministry driven, and I still always have that theological itch. I was I was privileged to be able to talk today with Greg Boyd about open theism, uh, which is a view of the future and how God has his hand in that and is impacting that and how our free will is involved in the choices that we make. You'll hear the arguments against. You'll hear a little bit of a pushback on, well, if if this is truth, then how can I know that X is going to happen? I think it's a fantastic conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. So here we go. Dr. Greg Boyd. Dr. Boyd, thank you so much for joining us on the on the show today. I would like to begin with a quick thank you again, and if you could just briefly tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I said uh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, okay, who is Greg Boyd? Let's see here. What should I say? I, I'm a <clears throat> husband of Shelley uh, Boyd. Been married for 37, uh, 38 years. We're going, we're going on 38 years. Should I edit that? You want me to protect you? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. That's all right. She doesn't remember either. You know, after a while, they all start blurring together. Uh, we've got three grown kids. We've got five grandkids. I pastor a church here in Maplewood, Minnesota called Woodland Hills Church. And I am president of Renew Ministries. You can find us at renew.org. Where we have a podcast and a bunch of writings and stuff like that. Fantastic. Yeah, I've enjoyed that website immensely over the last few years. So uh, just just a little bit of background so you know where I'm coming from from these questions. So grew up extremely fundamental, uh, evangelical, I I would call it church politics. Um, And and I'm no longer that. And so that's that's kind of the outbringing of this. Hallelujah. If you just, if someone just Googles open theism right now, just hit pause and Google it, your name quickly comes to the top few results. So I was hoping maybe you could just tell us a little bit about open theism? Or what do you tell people when they say, hey, what is open theism? Open theism is just the belief that uh, uh, things really do depend on our decisions. Uh, Your prayer really does make a difference. Uh, The things that you decide determine outcomes of things. Uh, We're going through life here, and it's not a pro forma activity. We're not going through the motions. Things really hang in the balance on what we do, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, now, a little more philosophical way of putting it is that uh, open theism is just the belief that possibilities are real. 
Possibilities are real. Uh, because God created agents, humans, and angels uh, with free will, um, uh, we, we have the possibility of going this way or the possibility of going that way. And since that's what's real, that's what God knows is real, because God knows all reality perfectly, exactly as it is. Um, and so um, it means that, that, that there's no uh, eternal fact about what I will do. Uh, there are only uh, facts about what I may or may not do. That's the final real thing. Possibilities are real. Uh, if, if it was a fact that I'm going to buy, buy a green Toyota in 2021, uh, if that was an eternal fact, then it, it's not possible for me to not buy a green Toyota in 2021. So possibilities aren't real. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if all facts of the future are, are, are settled, uh, then, then there are no other possibilities, not real possibilities. Uh, what we call possibilities is simply our ignorance about the facts. But uh, the open view uh, holds that, that the possibilities really are real. Um, it's not just a result of our ignorance about what's going to happen. Rather, the final thing to say about the future, uh, at least to some degree, is that it might be this or it might be that. Greg might buy the, the green Toyota or Greg might not buy the green Toyota in 2021. So that's what God knows. He, he knows what you he knows that you might do either. Is right. what you're saying. Okay. So that's the final. See, so that's the final. God knows all the facts, and and that's the final fact right now. The final fact is that I, I, it's in within my power to go this way or that way, and and so that's what God knows is is uh, real. So to contrast that versus what I was taught growing up, which would be more a I guess traditional or fundamental or Calvinist view of things. So that that seems to fly in the in the face of of well, I guess conventional thought from what you'll hear in, in many pulpits. Sure, it flies in the face both of uh, classical Calvinism, which holds that all facts of history are are eternally fixed because God predestined them. But our classical Arminianism also holds that all of the future facts are fixed or settled. Um, uh, but God didn't God didn't choose that. It, it, they just are. Uh, God God just knows them. Uh, but um, uh, God isn't the one that settled those facts being with the way they are, which leads to the question, well, then what did settle the facts? If it's a settled fact from all eternity that Greg Boyd will buy a green Toyota in 2021, what settled that? Uh, because I'm not eternal. <laughs> I, I didn't choose that eternally. So it, 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 it creates this kind of weird thing that the facts are out there, but nothing made those facts to be the way they are. They just are from all eternity. Okay. Right? It's kind of a form of Greek fatalism, because uh, the Greeks also held that that um, that all facts are, are are sort of eternal, but it, it wasn't that any god chose those or or, or anything. They, it's just fate. It just it, it's they just are the way they are uh, from all eternity, and it could not be otherwise. Well, that, that's that's fatalism. Well, there's no choice in that. I do have a random question: Is your lease up in 2021? <laughs> for your car, for your car. <laughs> I'm not planning on buying a car in 2021 <laughs> just, a green Toyota <laughs> fair enough so was there have you always been the the viewpoint that you are now open theist no. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Can, yeah I I, um, I went through the gamut of all different you know possibilities uh, over the course of the years I I was just I, this church I was saved in when I was 16 was just classical Armenian uh, but then I, I evolved into sort of a, the what's called the middle knowledge or the Molinist position, um, although I didn't know it was that at the time. But I, I, in fact, I thought I, I thought it was a new idea of mine. Turns out I, I read it in Origin. 
Um, but then um, uh, I, 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 for a period of time, was a Calvinist uh, for a couple of years in seminary. Uh, that despite myself, I, I mean, I, I was a Calvinist for exegetical reasons. I couldn't, you know, come for Romans 9 any other way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I never understood how people liked it. Like, I, I believed it, but I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't see the glory in it. Like, you know, you hang around with Calvinists and they're always like, oh, God's altogether good, altogether beautiful. He ordains everything for himself. According to his good pleasure, he's beautiful. And I could never see the beauty in this. You know, I thought it'd be more beautiful beautiful if God didn't predestine the majority of human beings to go to hell. But uh, I eventually uh, evolved out of that into the open view. Uh, it, this is probably 1986, I think, was when I was really making the turn. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've held this view ever since. I assume open theology. Well, the problem is I can't find a lot of genealogy of it. So what? Where? What is the history of this view of, of God? I mean, there's there's so much literature on on well, you, on the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's um actually that, that's the books that is waiting to be written. Uh, mm. I have in my file here a friend of mine uh, down in Florida has been collecting for thirty years all this data on open theists in, in church history, uh, and it Xeroxed me on all of them. And I, I've got piles sitting over there. Uh, but th that, that's just not the kind of book I'm interested in writing, but someone needs to write that. But he, he has traced, the, the earliest open theist I know of is a guy named Chalcidius in the fourth century. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he was a, uh, mainly a, a Christian commentator on Plato. In fact, his commentaries were very popular throughout the Middle Ages. Uh, and it's interesting because he advocates this, This he, he doesn't call it open theism or open future, but it's clear that's what his his uh, view is. Um, he, he holds to conditional prophecy. He says that all prophecies are conditional. Uh, they're not what will happen, but what will happen if things don't change and, and that things can go this way or that way. And um, But they use his commentaries, but no one ever objected to his view of the, the, the future. It's kind of interesting. And uh, then there was in the so starting in the 16th and 17th century, we find various groups who start to advocate this view. It was pretty popular among the early Wesleyans, mm -hmm. and they they debated it. And and then it kind of it ebbs and flows. Uh, you know, it, it's what's interesting about the past, however, is that they debated these things, but no one ever threw out the heresy charge. That that's like a modern thing to say. Oh, you're a heretic for believing this view because you think possibilities are real. Burn them at the stake. Um, but uh, yeah, you find it being debated, and then. In the 20th century, YWAM was one of the ones that really got it on the map. They started in the 50s, um, and their theology held to this kind of open view of the future. And then the, the modern openness movement is usually identified with uh, the book, The Openness of God, in 1994. Uh, Clark Pinnock and John Sanders and those guys wrote that book, which I'll just go on record as saying, I wish they hadn't uh, grabbed the title Open Theism. I do not like that title at all. Because it, it makes it seem as though the distinctive thing about this theology is its view of God, mm -hmm. uh, that God is open. Well, we're, but any Arminian would want to say that, you know, that, that, that God's opened our influence and stuff like that. What's distinctive about this view is not about God. It's about the nature of the future. It, it should have been called the open view of the future, which sounds less sexy than open theism. But uh, it's more accurate because uh, it, it's really about it, it's a it, it's a position on what is. The, con the contents of reality. Uh, is, is it all settled facts or are possibilities real? And, and it has a view of the future that, to some degree, the future is comprised not of settled facts but of possibilities. So this will be the old Calvinist coming out of me. So how, 
So, you know, you get the five points and, and one of them, and I'm going to say it wrong. It's been too long is, is God's in ultimate control. He knows everything. He's all powerful. You can't, you can't do anything to change right. anything. So in that traditional Western American church view, how, well, the, the, yeah. Well, so the problem is to me, that seems not like a very powerful God, all powerful in that he set all the dominoes up, but then he can't put anything to stop any dominoes from changing shape or form. He could if he wanted to, but that would imply that he had a change of mind. And in this view, God never changes in any respect whatsoever. There's, there's never, he has never has a new thought or anything. God, God is just eternally the same. So, uh, but I agree with you. I, 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 you know, here's what I never got. Even when I believed that I couldn't, see what was glorious about this God. Um, yeah, God could create a world in which every molecule is predetermined. Okay, He, he could do that. Uh, but what would be glorious about that? Uh, of course he could do that. He's got the power to do that. But there's there's nothing virtuous about exercising power that is innately yours. I mean, I can wiggle my little finger, finger because it's my finger, but you're not going to praise me for it. Um, it, 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 it God's praiseworthy if he creates a, a, a creation where he's not pulling all the strings. And now he has to use his wisdom uh, to to you know keep the world running and to keep on track and to go after his goals. Uh, it doesn't take any wisdom for me to wiggle my little finger, and it wouldn't take any wisdom for God to create a world where everything's predestined. But the Bible exalts God's wisdom and providence at least as much as it does his power. And you only need wisdom if you have to problem solve. And you only have to problem solve if there are agents who have their own will and their own thinking, and you've kind of got to work around them. Uh, and that, I think, is a much more virtuous conception of God. The other thing is that the, the idea that God, it, God's power is about his ability to control everything, and that's what makes God sovereign. Well, that's, that, that is as pagan a notion as anything. You, go, go back in the history of religions, and you'll find that that's always the kind of power that humans have, have in, in, been inclined to project onto the gods, mm -hmm. because that's the kind of power we create, the power to win, to beat our enemies, you know, to protect ourselves. And so we project that onto the gods. And the whole history of religion confirms that. So this is just another, you know, this is sort of a pagan god on steroids. Uh, it's got the same old pagan power, just a, a mega dose of it. The other thing, though, is that the New Testament teaches us, and this is one of the most radical, beautiful teachings of the entire New Testament, that, that the, uh, the cross is foolishness and weakness to the world. But to us, it is the wisdom and the power of God. The, so Paul redefines the omnipotence of God by pointing us to Calvary. When God shows off his power, he gets crucified. That's the kind of power that God uh, relies on uh, to, to defeat evil and to, and to run the world. And that's the opposite, of course, of power. That's the power of self-sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, and, and I, one of the ways you know that that's divinely inspired is because no human being would ever make that up. That's, that's the opposite of what human beings have always said about the gods. Uh, this God is so wise and so powerful, he becomes a human being and gets crucified for a bunch of sinners, uh, the very ones who crucify him. That is uncommonsensical and mysterious and beautiful. And that's one of the ways you know it's true. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the gospel. So you, you spoke earlier that in the past, when people would come to this view that, that it, the heretical, the big H on your forehead stamped on there, wasn't so quickly thrown out or maybe not thrown out at all. So why is it, and I know this has been accused of you, I've, I've read passages back and forth and, and snippets of emails that are posted online where you've had that same problem of being not es yeah yeah escorted off the premises for lack of better words so well they, they, they tried uh, they tried to get me removed from bethel and that didn't work and they tried to get 
they tried to get me kicked out of the ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society, but I wasn't a member, so that didn't work very well. But yeah, they, 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 they tried different avenues to try to cut them off, uh, but um, uh, they haven't been successful. But the H word has been thrown around. So, uh, so I guess my question is why? What is there to, what is there to lose by entertaining the thought of, of, of an open view? Well, I, you know, from the perspective of, of uh, mainly it's Calvinists who have been the ones who have been, uh, you know, arguing this, uh, they see it as an assault on the glory of God because they define the glory of God by control. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, R.C. Sproul in his book, Not a Chance, he argues that if there's one molecule that's not controlled by God, then God is not God. He, his definition of God is all controlling. And if God wasn't all controlling, he wouldn't be God. So. Uh, to advocate open theism would be equivalent to atheism, you know. They so they just see it as as a, a diminishing God's glory, um, and uh, yeah. So they have to brand it here. And and but you know by throwing the word heretic out, what you're doing there is you're you're it, it's a way of uh, it's it's just a censorship move. It, it's a way of trying to discourage people from taking it seriously. And the more plausible the view is, the more how, the louder they have to scream. Because they yeah, and caricature it, you know, they don't want it to get a fair hearing because they're afraid that if people actually, you know, looked at it sympathetically, mm -hmm. they didn't believe it, and in their view, that'd be a total loss. So they, they they throw out the charge to protect the flock. Well, in my case, you you'd have I had two options. I could deconstruct and put together everything and what I see and read the Bible and the gospel to be, or I could just walk away. And I think many of my generation walk away. So in an open view is one of the critiques that I've read is that it, it takes my free agency, my free will, and it makes that usurp the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. yeah. can, but can you speak to that a bit? Cause uh, I don't understand how that could be, but it also something logically makes sense about that statement. Sure. sure. Yeah. 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 Um, well, they notice that they're, they're defining sovereignty as control there. Mm -hmm. so they assume that that you know you're you're undermining the sovereignty of God with your free will, uh, because sovereignty for them means control. But I would argue, why go with that definition of sovereignty? Um, it, it, is that the most praiseworthy form of, of of sovereignty that you can imagine? I, I can imagine one that's a little more praiseworthy, namely one that's not all controlling. <laughs> you know, when it comes to people, we don't respect people who who try to micro control others. Um, People might micro-control others when they don't trust their character and their intelligence to get the job done working with other people. Uh, and, and I think the same is, is true of God. Why would it also become praiseworthy for God to be doing something that we otherwise never, you know, find as being praiseworthy? The other thing I'd say is this. C.S. Lewis uh, said that in, in Mere Christianity, at one point he goes, some people think that it is uh, a denial of God, uh, of God's omnipotence, is the word he uses, uh, if he were to create agents who had the power to say no to him. But I see it as the greatest act of omnipotence. The greatest act of omnipotence is that God would create creatures who have the capacity to say no to him. Um, and he created us with that capacity because unless we have the capacity to say no to him, we can't say yes to him in any way that's meaningful. Uh, and so we, we have the, this thing called free will. Now, I think C.S. Lewis is right. I think it's, it's just the greatest act of God. Would Calvinists argue that God couldn't create such a being if he wanted to? Uh, and then you have to ask, Chris, why wouldn't he want to? Is he threatened by us? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I heard it was on a different a different show somewhere, but I heard Brian Zahn the other day talking about Calvinism, saying it is one of the, the, the most, a very good system 
but it backs you into a corner that you, that is not very Jesus based, so or very very grace based. Um, well, good system if you mean by that just kind of with logical rigidity. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. The, the tulip the tulip follows, you know. But uh, it, it, the best the best logical uh, reasoning in the world isn't going to do any good if your starting point is off, you know. Right. And I think that their starting point is 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 dead wrong. So. To to take it to a, an eternal viewpoint, so if I can make my own choices now, what are my restrictions for the afterlife? What are my restrictions for, I guess, in salvation? Can I still choose to then? Yeah, can we fall from heaven kind of thing? Well, here's how I think about this stuff is that um, there's an ancient maxim that uh, it actually predates Christianity. It goes back to at least 500 BC to Heraclitus, an ancient Greek philosopher. But it's picked up in the church tradition, and I think it's self-evidently true. And and this maxim is this: that uh, we begin by making our choices, but in the end, our choices make us. Uh, or it, uh, to phrase it a different way, uh, our, our choices, if we continue in them, become habits, and our habits, if we continue in them, become our character. And our character, if we continue in it, becomes our destiny. Um, we, we get solidified in the decisions that we make. And the more you make any decision, the more likely it is that, that you'll make the, continue to make that decision. In some ways, our, our will is, is like water running down the side of a mountain. It creates grooves. And the deeper those grooves go, the more likely it is that the water will flow in those grooves rather than anywhere else. Uh, so we get solidified in our, in our, in our, in our character. And, and the ultimate end game of this, I, I think, Seth, is that uh, we have these free choices to go this way or that way, uh, but ultimately we end up either with the, the, an even greater kind of freedom than the freedom of choice, uh, or we end up in the greatest kind of bondage. Uh, that is to say this, that the goal is for me to, I make cho loving choices now to become, to become habitually loving, to acquire a loving character, to become a loving person. Uh, and when I get to the point where I, I am no longer just a person who chooses to love, but I am a loving person, now I'm truly free. Because to not, I, I still choose to love, but I, I don't really even have the possibility uh, of choosing otherwise. I don't struggle with that. Um, so I, I think, for example, the husband who has consistently, or it could be the wife, who's consistently chosen faithfulness over infidelity, that maybe was difficult early on uh, when they were going through marriage problems, whatever. But by making those choices, they formed their character uh, to the point where at some point God would see, even if these people didn't know, God would see that their character is such that they would no more be tempted to cheat on their spouse than they would be tempted to skin a cat. You know, it, it's just it doesn't have the allure. Uh, and, and that husband uh, or that spouse is, I think, more free than the one who has to struggle with the choice. That uh, the, 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 the first spouse has free will. Uh, but the second spouse has a higher kind of freedom, which is the freedom to love uh, out of your character. And that's where we become godly. That's how God is like that. God's character is invariantly loving. And the goal of life, I think, is to become that. Um, and, mm. and, uh, and so there's a final state where either we, have the, we love uh, without the capacity of not loving or we don't love and we have no capacity for loving. Uh, you can get to the point where you no longer... God would still save you if you turn to him, but there'd be no, nothing in you that is inclined in that direction. You've lost the capacity uh, to, to even want to love. Come back to the safety where you belong. You prisoners of hope, return to your strongholds. The king is still, the king is still on the throne.
captives and exiles overwhelmed Attracted by the beauty of a distant realm Where the king is still, the king is still on the throne On your, your site, Renew.org, you wrote an article, and I don't remember when, but it's about the difference between process theology versus open theism. Right, right. Because I had never heard of, quote-unquote, process theology. Yeah, yeah. The only thing they have in common is we they both hold to a, a, the possibilities are real, to the, a future that's partly open. Uh, the way that we get there is totally different. I mean, in process theology, you've got uh, a, a God who is— uh, intrinsically limited, and who is eternally connected to a world. God didn't create the world ex nihilo, uh, from nothing. God, There's always been God, and there's always been a world. Uh, the relationship between God and the world is like the relationship between your, your brain and your body. Okay, that, That's the analogy that they sometimes use. And so, uh, and, and God is constrained by this by metaphysical principles. Since he didn't create everything, um, everything just has always been, the, you know, as it is, it was given. There's God in the world for eternity. So God's bound by certain metaphysical principles and metaphysical rules, which I argue in uh, my di- doctoral dissertation, it's called Trinity and Process. I-, I argue that that the metaphysical constraints of process theology lead to some very unorthodox conclusion, like God not being able to have special intervention in the world. I, I don't think I don't see how the incarnation is possible. And else, you know, you don't have a triune God. You have a bi- bi- bipolar God. And so uh, the metaphysical system of process theology includes the view that the future is open. Um, and so to that degree, it shares this open view of the future. But open theists who hold to the open view of the future uh, do it for some philosophical reasons, but not, but mainly for biblical reasons, but without any of that metaphysical baggage. Uh, and, and so I, I, I sometimes bristle when people try to compare uh, the you know, process thought with, with open theism. Uh, oh, you're just a stepping stone to, to process thought. It's like, that is just so much nonsense. It, it's two very, very different things. I researched a few because I wanted wanted to be transparent and, and ask uh, questions that others would ask. So so for some of the criticisms, so I've, I've read other people say or, or read other people asserting that Scripture does not hint that there could be anything that's unknown to him, that, that everything is in, and that this view... Uh, and I wrote it down, Herman Babnick said that the the true manner to which he obtains knowledge is sometimes stated in striking anthropomorphic language, but he nevertheless knows everything, and the notion that something should be unknown to him is dismissed as absurd. I totally agree. It's absurd. But what that objection tells me is that the person doesn't know much about open theism. No open theist who's informed would ever say that there's things God doesn't know. Uh, we hold to the God's omniscience. God, God's, God knows everything. God's, God's knowledge and reality are, are coterminous categories. They're identical. Okay, so, so, so this objector, I just say, I totally agree. It's absurd to think that God wouldn't know something. Uh, he, see, this person's assuming that future facts are out there. He's, he's assuming a particular view, uh, the subtle view of the future, and critiquing open theism on that assumption. So he's assuming that all the facts. Uh, about you know Greg buying a green Toyota in 2021 and everything else, they they are eternally out there, 
And so if I deny that God knows if I'm going to buy a green Toyota in 2021, this person thinks that I'm saying God doesn't know something. But in fact, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's nothing out there for God to know other than th those possibilities. I might do this or I might do that. And so you can't, that'd be like, like yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, suppose this objector here, I, I, I didn't catch the name, but. Uh, Herman, Herman Babnick, he wrote a book in 2004, about, about a decade ago. Uh, it was, it was mostly about a, a rebuttal to open theism, but I have not read the book to be fair. Bab Babnick? Well, anyway, yeah. uh, Herman, uh, the, the, it'd be like if we're in a room and, uh, you know, a room full of chairs and I say, I think God knows that there's 43 chairs in this room. And he says, no, I think God knows that there's 53 chairs in this room. Well, it'd be weird for him to say, well, you're, you're denying that God knows 10 chairs. Uh, you're limiting God by saying he only knows there's 43. Uh, well, look, we disagree on, on what God knows because we disagree upon what's in the room. But we all agree that however many chairs are in the room, God knows it. <laughs> and so you can't say that my God knows less because he has less chairs. So also, uh, yeah, the future may be comprised all of exhaustive facts, if, if Herman's right, and in which case God would know that. But the future also may be partly comprised of possibilities, in which case God would know that. And it'd be just as dumb for me to criticize him uh, because his God doesn't know possibilities as it is for him to criticize me because my God doesn't know the facts that he thinks are, are, are out there. How should we read the Bible? Because uh, another criticism I've seen is that... Left to right. Right to left. Left to right, unless you're reading Hebrew, you go, then you go right to left. But go ahead. <laughs> and in Greek, you go from bottom to top. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good. Um, <laughs> so the, the claim is... In, in the Old Testament specifically, there's so many times that God himself says that God wants this thing to happen and what I want to happen will happen. Right. And, and they, they usually quote a, a, a large section of Isaiah from, I think, 40 to 48 or 44 to some, somewhere sure. in that, that vicinity. And so how then are we supposed to interpret prophecy or, or future events through the lens of the Bible sure. if— Obviously, I don't know all the possibilities. So, so, so uh, yeah. So, in, in Isaiah, you have this. It's often called Second Isaiah, uh, but uh, this this refrain where Yahweh is going to demonstrate that He's the true God, not these idols. And, but, but if you read it carefully, He always says, "I will tell you ahead of time what I'm going to do," and then He tells him what He's going to do. Well, obviously, God, if God's resolved to do some things, he knows it. And so he can declare, this is what I'm going to do. He's not declaring random facts out there. Uh, he's, he's, he's declaring his intentions. Um, and when prophecies are of that nature, then they are about the future. But most prophecies are not of that nature. Uh, most prophecies in the Bible are, are warnings about what's going to happen if things don't change. Uh, so in, in Jeremiah 18, for example, um, it's a, it's really interesting because here Jeremiah uses or the Lord uses this potter clay analogy, which Paul picks up in Romans nine. Now look how different it is the way that 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 Jeremiah uses this. Uh, it, the Lord takes the, the Jeremiah to his potter's house. Well, first the Lord declared disaster coming upon Israel because of its sins. He's going to allow Babylon to attack it, uh, and and the Israelites were saying we're done, we're goners, it's no use. And so the Lord says, don't say that. And so he takes Jeremiah to this potter's house. The, 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 the potter is fashioning this kind of vessel, but the clay is not cooperating. And so he improvises and forms a different kind of vessel that conforms to the kind of clay he's working with. 
And then the Lord says, uh, starting with verse 5, you go and tell the people of Israel that uh, I am the potter and they are the clay. I have the right to do whatever I want to. So I may declare that I'm, I'm bringing judgment on you. That's kind of vessel I'm fashioning. But if you will change, then I'll change. And he uses this phrase, if you'll change your mind, then I'll change my mind and I'll fashion blessings for you rather than judgment. But if at any time, and he uses that phrase twice, if at any time I declare that there's a, I'm going to bless a nation, if that nation turns wicked, then I'll change my mind and I'll bring a judgment rather than a blessing. Uh, because I'm the potter and the clay, so I can change my mind if I want to. <laughs> and so the whole point of the potter clay analogy is, and this is what Paul's getting at in Romans 9 as well, is not saying God's unilaterally controlling, controlling this clay, you know, making good or bad vessels as he wants. He's saying that God is wisely responding to the clay. Uh, and that's the way uh, Hebrew prophecy works. Uh, God says, this is what's going to happen. Uh, but it almost always means not this is what's certainly going to happen, but this is what's going to happen if you don't change. And he gives it as a warning. And see, this is how Greek prof or how Hebrew prophecy was so different from Greek prophecy. The Greeks were into divination, uh, in the, into the occult, into trying to divine the future. They'd rip apart animals and take out entrails to try to see what the future holds. And they had all these different ways of trying to divine that. Because they were fatalists, and they thought that the future was set in stone, and that the gods would therefore know the future. And, and, and so prophecy was about predicting what is going to happen. Um, well, it, it, the Hebrews had a very different view. They weren't fatalistic at all. Uh, they, they, the purpose of prophecy was to appeal to people's free will so they would change, and, and it wouldn't have to go down the way it, way it happened. A lot of people today, in fact, most Christians today, at least conservative Christians, tend to have a Greek view of prophecy rather than a, a Hebrew view of prophecy. They think that when the Bible says this is what's going to happen, they're thinking about Nostradamus or you know some some diviner. Uh, and, and, and so they read that occult sort of definition into the Bible, and they think that all these things are predictions that have to come true. Yeah, well, I mean, that came in the news recently with um, Trump and naming the, the capital of... of, of um... Of, of Jerusalem or, or Israel, and everyone was like, "Yes, this is this is happening, y'all. We're it's fulfilling the prophecy. We're, we're coming." Yeah. yeah, Gog, Magog, they get into all that stuff, and we've just had four blood moons. And what does this mean? Ah! It's a tremendous waste of time. It, well, yeah, but and you'll hear it on Sundays, though. You'll hear it in many churches. Of you know, it's, it's what uh, what what did you say? The the platitudes, the things that don't help people when you're you know when someone passes away or when someone commits suicide or whatever. That I'm sorry. What has been being that you've held differing views throughout your career and your life and your and your your growth with 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 Christ what is the the biggest drawback or the biggest burr for open theism um that that you have that you that you maybe still struggle with or that that took you the longest to get over the biggest burr with open theism uh let's see you know I, I, it's hard to me to uh address that there's I wouldn't hold this view if I didn't, you know, if I if I thought it had some remaining objections that that were insurmountable. I, and I, mm -hmm. I so I just don't. Um, I, I I have trouble answering that. I, it's big, that's fair. It's, it's biggest drawback. I can't. No, that's fine. That's a fine yeah, answer. Um, I asked the same. I, I guess do I, I guess it would be this that I have had uh, uh, the I've had several people who have given me a uh, scenarios where like. They had a dream about something uh, long before it happened, and then it came to pass, uh, or something like that. And uh, uh, so there's, they report things that are really hard to make sense out of, 
if you hold that the future is partly open. Uh, and what I do in those cases is, is uh, you know, I, I can assume that their dream uh, were, or that the word that was given them was accurate um, and then try to weave that into how that would fit into an open view. Because um, God can, you know, influence things in a lot of ways that we never see. And it, a lot of things are subtle that, that don't seem subtle to us. Uh, or there's, I think, in some cases, other explanations uh, where people have selective remembrance about what they dream and they retrofit a dream into what comes to pass. You know, there's all sorts of phenomena like that. But yeah, I guess so those would be the more challenging questions. Sure. So, so to springboard off that, so in, 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 in counseling people, uh, you know, marital counseling or you know, someone has died of cancer or basically the problem of evil, how an open view doesn't seem very satisfying. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it would give me closure if say my, my wife was hit with a bus on the way home from work today. And I'm like, God, what the heck? So, um, what, what would the classic give you that you don't think the open view can give you? Well, at least something to blame. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, but, like, like, okay. So say your, your, your wife gets, uh, uh, killed by a drunk driver, uh, tonight, God forbid, but let's just, you know, say, mm-hmm. um, what would the if God foreknew that from eternity? How is that an advantage over my view that God just knew it was a possibility? Well, I don't think that it is an advantage. But my question is, what would you say to someone that comes in? They're broken down. They're stripped. They're questioning God. Why do you let you know babies die of whatever? Or why did you let my wife get whatever? And so I guess, what do you say to someone? Because they're 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 so emotional. They're ripped raw everything's on the table sure. and they're most likely on a razor's edge of I'm just the whole thing out, baby bath water, burn the house down okay. or something different. See, here, here, here's why I think the open view has a great advantage is that um, uh, I, I can tell them this, that, that God is not to blame for this. This is not part of God's great plan for your life. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful program. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that, it, you know, this all happens for a reason. You know, God's timing is right on time. Uh, God writes straight, you know, Providence writes straight with crooked lines and all that other junk garbage uh, yeah it, it's it's um uh this is a tragedy and that's all there's to be said about it. now having having said that it's not all there is to be said about it because i can also say this that uh god promises that he's working in all things working all things together for the better for those who love the lord and are called according to his purpose that god has a plan in place uh that he's been preparing from the beginning of the world as to how he can bring good out of this incident and and our job is to cooperate with him uh, on doing that. Uh, your your wife's death isn't isn't just a meaningless, gratuitous uh, instance of evil. Uh, the, God can bring meaning out of it. But here's the difference. So like, so that is what a, a a traditional person would usually say, and they think that the open theist can't say that. What do you mean? How can God have an eternal plan if if all he knows is the possibilities? Uh, and, and this gets to the real rub of things, Seth. Okay, so follow this. We people think that God is less prepared for the future if he has to face possibilities than he is if he if he knows just the one line of certainty that's going to happen. They think that gives them advantage, but they think that only because they are presupposing that God has limited intelligence. So if we have to anticipate possibilities, we're we're, we're less effective at anticipating possibilities than we are a certainty. Because we have to spread our intelligence thin. We have a finite amount of it, and we have to spread it thin to cover all the possibilities. So we're less prepared for any one of 10 possible outcomes than we would be for just one outcome because we have less anticipatory power. 
But if God is infinitely intelligent, and I'm assuming we both agree that he is, then you can't mm -hmm. divide up infinity. Uh, and so God doesn't have to spread his intelligence thin to cover any number of possibilities. Rather, God can cover each and every one of a trillion, trillion, trillion to the trillionth power possibilities, each and every one of those as though they were the only possibility. Uh, it's as though all of his attention is on this possibility, as though it had to happen. So in other words, God anticipates every possible future as though it were, was the only future he had to anticipate. So he has a plan in place to bring good out of evil that is just as effective as in the traditional view. It's just that, and so whatever happens, I can say, you know, God was preparing a plan for this from the foundation of the world in case it happens. It's just that I think God is so smart, any number of other things could have happened. And if they would have happened, I'd be saying the exact same thing. So it, it, to put it in a nutshell, I can see stuff dripping from your ear right now. So, uh, <laughs> to put it in a nutshell, um, only a God of finite intelligence would gain any advantage by virtue of knowing, uh, having a crystal ball as to how things are going to happen. Uh, it's like if you're playing God in chess, um, you know, God anticipates every possible move. And so every move you make is going to play into his hand uh, because he's been setting you up for that. Uh, he knows every possible uh, move that you can make and is anticipating it. Now, if Gabriel come, the angel Gabriel came up to, to God and, and said, hey, God, you know, we have this crystal ball. We can see in the future every move Seth is going to make. Uh, God would say, why do you insult me with this thing? You think I, the crystal ball gives me any advantage? No. Uh, look at I, I, I see every possible move Seth's going to make through that crystal ball. I, I, I'm anticipating it from the beginning of the game as though it had to happen. It's just that I'm so smart, I can anticipate it as though it had to happen, even though it didn't have to happen. Any other, any other thing could have happened, and I'd be saying the exact same thing about that. So the open view, you don't lose anything. All you do is gain a coherent system that allows you not to blame God. So the, the parts then that 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 agency would would work the other way, I guess. And this is, I don't have this question written down, so bear with me if I have to rephrase it. So when when history or civilization or uh, it doesn't matter what planet, what life, what is on, if something is going off the rails, then God would go, "No, we're changing this. This chess piece no longer belongs here. It belongs here. Now continue the game." Well, see, that, and that would be like that would be like the incarnation or or something similar well, to that. Or am I off base there? That that presupposed that that um, you know in, when God set up the chessboard, they, God didn't anticipate that that possibility. Uh, the parameters of free will are, I think, built into the nature of creation. When God creates the world, He gives a certain amount of say so to free agents, uh, to humans, and then to angels, and, and we we have say over what comes to pass to this degree. But there's always parameters there. You know, I I I, I, may, I have this amount of, of of free will to affect the world for good, which is also my ability to affect the world for evil. But I don't think I could blow up the world, uh, you know, ahead of time. Uh, it, you know, so there's going to be parameters on it, and there's all sorts of conditions and stuff. And so I, I don't think God has to be, you know, kind of intervening to to you know, sort of keep the system running well. I, I think that God's it's I think God's involved every nanosecond, influencing everything. He's always influencing. He's never a passive God. He's always active in the world, uh, but not to tweak the system, but rather to influence as much good as possible and minimize evil as much as possible uh, to, to achieve his, his, his good ends. Mm, this is, this makes my brain break a little bit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just different from what I'm used to. 
I want to switch gears and just ask you one final question that I've, that I've begun asking of everyone. With the, the world, the, the church culture, the vehement disregard for whatever tribe is not yours, what would be, as a, as a pastor, as a, as a leader in the faith, what would be one thing that those listening could take home and, and begin to install, or something that they should look to change, or something they should look to, to, to become, to make the kingdom of God better or, or, or the, the world we live in better or the, the family we're, we're the leader of better. Yeah. 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 Well, ultimately it's our, our calling is just to, to uh, be putting on display the character of God to all people at all times. And uh, uh, that's the best thing we can do for the world. Offered a, a different kingdom, a different way of being. But I guess the word I would say right now is, you know, uh, we've had four different times in the new Testament we're commanded to greet strangers uh, to welcome in strangers. Uh, Jesus, even in Matthew 25, says that, you know, when you welcomed in, when you visited the prisoner or clothed the naked and fed the hungry and and gave housing to the homeless, you're doing it to me. And that's the criteria of, of the judgment. Uh, we're called to have a, a love for strangers. Uh, Philozenia is the Greek word. Philios, it means love, and xenos means other. Uh, what, we are, what we have going on right now in our culture is a di- diabolical uh, form of xenophobia which is fear of the other. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and uh, perfect love casts out fear. And where there's fear, there's not perfect love. Uh, so to manifest the kingdom, we should be doing the opposite of what's going on in our culture, going out of our way to welcome strangers. Uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 5 that, that, that if you only greet those who greet you, what reward is there in that? You know, it, it's when we love those that we wouldn't ordinarily love and even love our enemies, uh, life-threatening enemies. In fact, Jesus makes that the criteria for being considered a child of God. Love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 45. And so uh, I would encourage people to be just outrageously loving and generous and hospitable. Uh, That's the word, hospitable, uh, where you welcome in uh, people that are outside your normal sphere, your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. Get to meet some people that don't look like you, who have different skin color, who talk with a different accent, maybe a different language, eat different kind of food, listen to different kind of music. And learn from them, and 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 show Christ's love to them. Uh, that's what the world needs right now. Mm. Amen, amen. So, for those that want to further engage in in the topic of open theism, but but outside of that, just engage in other theological discussions. Where would where can they interact with you? I know you've got Renew.org. You referenced a podcast earlier. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, I'm a, and you can you know go to renew.org. Uh, there, I think I, I, on renew.org I have a thing, this thing called Greg's Library, uh, and I there list um, I have about three thousand books that I've listed under different categories for recommended reading. You know, if you're interested in this topic, here's the ten books I'd recommend, and I give a little, uh, I, I rate them according to their level of difficulty, uh, and so yeah, people find that in doing research papers, I do a lot of people's homework for them. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to abuse that because that will, that will greatly help me as well. Um, well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, and I've, I've had a blast. I've had a blast. I, yeah, I can't thank you enough. Well, good. It's my pleasure, Seth. Thanks for having me on. Talk again sometime. Oh man, what do we do with that? People, possibilities are endless. I don't know about you, but open theism is something that I've wrestled with. I recorded that in January of 2018 with Greg, and I've wrestled with it almost every day since then. The 
I can't begin to fathom the God that we worship, knowing that I am not forced into any decision. And regardless of whether or not I make a good one or a bad one, the God of the universe sits with us and sits with me and sits with you. Mm, guys, I'm so appreciative to be able to do this with you. To the handful of you that have become uh, patrons on the show, thank you so much. To those that have not yet made that decision, if you're, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, consider becoming a patron. As little as a dollar a month helps to make the show go, helps to make the show continue to be what it is. And we've got goals, obviously, and, and as I get closer to those goals, we can hopefully make the show better. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Thank you for your feedback online. Twitter has been amazing. Facebook has been amazing. So appreciative of the entire community. I'll talk with you soon. Be blessed. <laughs>